0: Planning a trip to one of the great national parks, L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit LLBean.com slash explore.
1: Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the Best MSU Basketball Podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod and here for the Big Ten Opener for Michigan State where they're going to be taking on the Northwestern Wildcats at the Breslin Center. Uh, the Wildcats are 5-2, and two, which is actually a pretty good record in the non-conference for them since they actually did play some teams. But their last game was as bad as a loss as Michigan State had at South Bend. They lost at home by almost oh, 30. Oh, way
0: worse. To, way <laughs> to worse. a really
1: bad a bad Pittsburgh team. Uh, and Which is funny because the game before that, which was why I think we were fairly confident that they would do well against Pittsburgh, is they played really well against Auburn in a the championship game of a feast week tournament. They lost by a point, I think.
0: Yeah, they lost 43 42. So, what they're really six su- and trust me, Auburn doesn't like playing games in the 40s. That's that's <laughs> not what they want to do. I'm sure so. Northwestern did a really good job of uglying that up, which is what they're going to have to do. And I was pretty confident that they, you know, Pitt, I thought at least going into that game, might be the worst major college team or major conference team in America. They've got some competition <laughs> for that, Florida State. Cal I I a number of our listeners I'm sure have seen Pitt play um and certainly have seen Michigan play a number of times so you know the Michigan is playing miserably and Michigan ran Pitt out of the gym I mean absolutely destroyed them so I figured that was going to be an easy win for Northwestern and it was anything but they got they got ripped um so I don't know what to think about Northwestern now, the metrics still st- uh, still tell a pretty good story about who they are defensively, right? Offensively, they're a total mess, but I'm, again, I'm not sure about the defense because they just looked so awful in dealing with Pitt. And granted, sometimes if an opponent is just hitting jumpers, which is what was happening to them, you can look worse than you are, but, uh, it was not a very encouraging moment for, for Chris Collins. I had, uh, I had posted (laughs) strong words (laughs) What's
1: that? You had some strong words about Chris. Collins. Yeah, I, I said
0: think. that, you know, on the Spartan mag board, I said, Northwestern should probably fire Chris Collins at half court or words to that effect, because that's just a loss. Not just the fact that you lose, but you lose at home and you lose to a team that's that bad. And in that way where you just get destroyed, you know, you compared it to in no way, shape or form does it compare to what happened to MSU against Notre Dame. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not sugarcoating the, you know, the way that MSU lost that game, but there were reasons. And whatever I think about Notre Dame, they're probably a team that if they play to their potential has a chance to be on the, in the tournament mix, you know, especially given the yeah. ACC it looks questionable. Um, so there's a world of difference in these two losses and MSU is back home. We think they're going to have Jaden Akins back, so there there are reasons to be positive. But hey, it's it's the Big Ten opener, so you gotta you gotta take it seriously.
1: Sure, yeah. So Northwestern's coming into the game ranked seventy fourth in Ken Palm, which is I think higher than they usually are um, coming yeah, into the season. Yeah, that
0: they're in the inside of the top one hundred. Yeah, is, right.
1: It's the a, Auburn game them. helped them a sure. lot. Yeah, absolutely. So offensively, though, they're not very good. They're 174th, as you mentioned. They, you know, even when they were close to Auburn, they only scored 42 points. Uh, they've been really bad shooting. They're 31.8 percent from three, which is ranked um, uh, 231st, and 327th from the two-point range. They're 144th in turnover percentage and 132nd in offensive rebounding. Uh, so you know, offensively, they're just a mess. Defensively, as you mentioned, they're better.
0: Nothing bails them out on offense. And, and to, to take a take back half a step, they really got hurt by a couple of transfer decisions. You know, Pete right. Nance, who was their best player, uh, opted to transfer to North Carolina in the offseason. And uh, Ryan Young, who is far from a perfect player, but his strengths, his ability to score in the post and his ability to rebound, particularly on the offensive end, are real strengths and he's playing a significant role for Duke. If they had retained those two guys, we'd be talking about this team in a very different context, I believe. I, I would I would have felt coming into the season with that kind of group that they would be a team worthy of discussion around a tournament bid. Yeah. But you take that away, and you've got a very, very, very different scenario in right. Evanston, where they just don't have a lot on the interior, their guards are guys who over the course of their careers have been good in streaks, but have never been reliably efficient players. And they're playing that way this year as well. So you add it all up, you're not getting really a positive in any area. They can't shoot. They turn the ball over more than you'd like. And they don't offensive rebound very well.
1: Yeah, well, and it explains the fact that they're scoring forty some points a game, you know, against like right. Auburn, right? Because you just you right. don't, you limit your opportunities if you don't make the score very often and you don't give yourself second chances, and you're throwing the ball away even before you get a shot off. You're not going to score much.
0: Their their opportunity is to ugly games up. Yep. That's what they have to do. If it's a if it's a free flowing um, game, we're. Where Teams are, are scoring with relative ease. It's hard to see a path for
1: them to win very many of those. Right. Not in a league like the Big Ten. Sure. And so defensively, they are better. As you mentioned, they muck things up. They're ranked 25th, even despite that uh, bad loss to Pittsburgh. They're number one against two-point shots, and they're uh, number 55 in turnover percentage, with being 42nd in steals. Defensive rebounding is uh, at 109th, which is not terrible. Uh, but it's not that great either for a, a power five school.
0: Yeah, they um, it's an interesting mix. They're, they're much more aggressive in some ways with trapping in the half court, and just getting after it. You know, I think they're 42nd in steal percentage. So that turnover number is not a fluke. Sometimes you might have a team that's just benefiting from opponents mistakes and they might have a high defensive turnover percentage. Not the case with Northwestern. They're earning a lot of those. Um so that's kind of different from them. The fact that they're this good against twos is really interesting because they're not a team with much rim protection. I mean their best shot blocker is their reserve backup Matt Nicholson and I think he's averaging a block and a half a game which is all right but it's you know yeah. it's it's hardly Dikembe Matumbo out there. <laughs> and and so it's interesting to me that they've been that good against twos. Conversely, I think they're 100th against threes. And in the Pitt game, for example, the deal there was they were giving up a lot of good looks and Pitt was hitting them over and over and over. Now, there will be nights where you might be able to give up open looks and have the opponent just miss them. But it was not that night for Northwestern, and that had something to do with why it got out of hand quickly. Um, But I think the bottom line is, and we'll turn back to this when we discuss the keys, you're probably not going to have a great deal of success if you're basing your offense around what happens inside the arc. You're probably Mm going to need to shoot decently to really, really take it to this team.
1: Well, let's just talk about the starters on the Northwestern team then. We'll begin with the best-named player in the league, Boo Booey. 6'2", senior guard, averaging a little under 13 points a game on 35, 33, and 88 shooting. He tops out at four, over four assists a game, but also averaging three turnovers a game and has four rebounds a game. And he's a guy who has punished us before, and times when we've controlled him.
0: Yeah, and that's what is going to haunt Michigan State fans about this game going into it, (laughs) is remembering seasons past where Boo Boo has just gone off. And that is the scary thing with him, and with the other guard we'll discuss in a second, Chase Audage. They're similar players in this way. They both take terrible shots. Objectively, the shot selection from these two guards is very poor. The problem is, just often enough, they will get on a hot streak where those bad shots fall. And to try to deal with that can be a tough thing for an opponent. So that's the, that's the concern with boo boo is that he bad shots his way into a good night thus far this season, you know, you, you laid out the shooting numbers. It's not good. And he's, but the scary thing is, you know, he's capable of more, um, you know, we just saw that, although I think Cormac Ryan is a very different kind of player. I don't think the uh, the guard for Notre Dame, I don't think he takes bad shots. He just wasn't hitting anything, and you kind of knew that eventually he was going to have a game where they were going to fall, and it just so happened that it was against Michigan State. This is different because Bowie is probably not going to get great looks, but he might still hit some.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could probably look at his shooting numbers: thirty-five overall from field, the field and thirty-three from three. That shows that he's not when he's going even inside those uh, twos, he's not taking very good shots, right? It should be a, it should be quite a bit higher than the three-point shot percentage, I would think.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, next would be Chase Audige. He's a six-four senior wing, averaging twelve point four points a game on 37, 36, and eighty-one shooting. He's second the team assist with 29 in seven games but also has a lot of turnovers at 20 and he was injured quite a bit last year uh didn't shoot great and we both felt that he was gonna be a better shooter and just look better this year than he has because of his injuries limited yeah he's season.
0: he's having a bounce back season to an extent and the shooting numbers aren't as bad as they are for Bowie. they're a little better but and much better than he shot last year this is the real chase Hadid. but um again he's another guy. He will take shots that will really leave you scratching your head. I mean, early in the shot clock, well contested from 30 feet. I mean, he does it all. And just enough of them fall that can leave you frustrated as a defense because, you know, he's hitting, he will hit some shots that you just know he has no business taking, never mind making.
1: And next would be Ty Berry, 6'3 junior. Averaging 10.4 points a game on 34-30-88 shooting and grabbing six boards a game.
0: Yeah, the rebounding number is impressive for him because he's not big. Um, so he's obviously chasing down a lot of a lot of uh, long long rebounds right. off three attempts, I would think. Um, he's been a better shooter than this in his career. He's in his junior year. This is his third season. He shot much better than this from three in the past. He, as opposed to the other two guys, I think he generally displays a little better shot selection. Um, But even though that three-point number isn't very good, he is a guy you've got to guard out there.
1: He's dangerous. And next would be Robbie Barron, 6'9", senior, averaging 10.1 points a game on 38, 39, and 79 shooting, leading the team at 6.6 rebounds a game. And he's definitely a player we talked about in the the, uh, preview that we just thought, He's got, there's a lot to him and you just kind of wish you saw a little bit more production from him, but that he's an impressive player because he only averages what nine game, nine shots a game.
0: Yeah. Not even a little under that. Yeah. I, I've said it for three years running now. The biggest problem with Robbie Buran is, uh, I would think is between Robbie Buran's ears that he either doesn't believe that he should be the man or lacks confidence, whatever it is, um, because he's been a very efficient player for them, really his whole career. And then you look at the actual production they get. And at least for me, I'm left wondering, why doesn't this guy take more shots? And he's still not taking enough shots. He's a very good player. He just doesn't impose himself enough.
1: Next would be uh, Tyus Verhoven. He's a 6'9", 230-pound transfer from UTEP. He's filling in for the departed Ryan Young and I suppose Pete Nance too. He's averaging 3.1 points a game and 4.1 rebounds a game in about 19 minutes where he's sharing with uh, the five spot with Matt Nicholson. He's shooting 44% from the floor and a miserable 33% at the line.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's basically a a space filler. That's probably a little bit um, overly disparaging because he's part of their defensive effort against twos. Uh, but, yeah, offensively and as a rebounder, he's not contributing a whole hell of a lot. But they need size, and he's yeah. giving them that.
1: And so then going on to the reserves, we'll start with Matt Nicholson, who's the the fill-in for Verhoeven when he's on the floor, seven-foot junior. He's from Clarkston. And we weren't quite sure what was going to happen at that five spot being the season, but it looks like he's the, he, Nicholson has been able to sort of impose himself as the, num- the number two guy there. Uh, he's averaging 6.3 points a game and five rebounds a game. And, has, and as you mentioned earlier, with one and a half blocks a game, shooting 67% for the floor. And his not quite as miserable, but pretty close at 40% from the line.
0: You know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, Nicholson is um, a kid that I thought was always on the fringes of maybe getting a Michigan State offer, and he never did. Uh, and I thought at the time Northwestern got him that that was a really sneakily good recruit recruiting get um because he has legitimate size at seven feet he can move okay you know he's not he's not drew Namek or jaron jackson somebody like that but he can move okay he's not a stiff and i just thought with some time in a big 10 weight training program and just to continue to develop his game that he could be a really effective player i thought at a michigan state you know he might be a guy um, kind of akin to what we're, we're hoping Carson Cooper is able to become where, you know, maybe by his junior year, he's a very reliable rotation guy that you're, you're very happy to have as a, as a backup, that kind of thing. Um, it hasn't really developed quite the way I thought it would for him, but he's been better this year with a bigger role. There's no doubt about that. Um, he just, what I've been surprised by is that he hasn't been able to get a whole lot steadier. And and what I mean by that is he was a guy that when I saw him play in high school in AAU, and I saw him a fair amount, especially later in his high school career, uh, he just always seemed to not have a good base. Like if you see big guys, sometimes, You'll see the Mahdi, I guess, was like this a lot, right? Where every time you notice them on the floor, they seem to kind of be sprawled out. They don't, they're not playing off two feet. They're, they're unsteady. They seem to be flailing a lot, you know,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and, and usually that gets solved with um, increased lower body strength, your legs, you know, you kind of get your legs under you so to speak and, when I've seen or I watched the pick game, Nicholson still, there was too much of that for my taste. So he's in his third year in their program. A little, I'm a little bit surprised that's still going on. But, you know, with his size, he's still able to impact games occasionally. And he's a kid who I'm sure is going to be very motivated by playing Michigan
1: State. Sure. And the fact that he's seven foot helps. And you think, and with the guy in front of him, Verhoeven is not, you know, He's not like lighting it up and being amazing. So it's definitely this opportunity still for him to maybe steal that starting role before the end of the season.
0: Yeah. He might see an increase. Right. He might see increased minutes eventually because the other guy isn't wowing you for now. They're, they're kind of splitting the position.
1: Yeah. Got to go with experience. So Brooks Barnheiser, a six, six sophomore, uh, didn't play much as a sophomore, but he's playing a little bit more this year. He's averaging 22 minutes a game, scoring 5.4 points a game on 35, 19 and 69 shooting, uh, and four rebounds a game. Yeah, he's
0: getting a lot more minutes cuz somebody has to. Um they were really <laughs> excited about him as a recruit last year and then he wasn't able to break through into their rotation. Uh but he is this year still not not shooting the ball very well at all and that's what they thought he could do coming out of high school. So that's been a little disappointing.
1: Yeah, 19 is not good percentage. Uh Nick Martinelli is next. He's a 6-7 freshman. He's only played a f- few games this season. Played a decent amount against Pitt in that losing effort, averaging 2.3 points a game and 1.3 rebounds a game, shooting 33% overall and 50%, just one of two from three.
0: Yeah, they, he was a recruit. They were happy to land. Um, I'm forgetting now. I know he was previously committed to somebody else, then decommitted, ended up at Northwestern. I think there might have been a coaching change. Was
1: he from Chicago? Like he yeah, was, he's uh, from the Chicago area. Yeah.
0: Okay. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he hasn't been playing much, and then he played 16 minutes against Pitt. Uh, I, I've got him down here because it's possible they, especially in a Big Ten game, they might want to go a little deeper, but um, it's hard to know if he'll play much in this one.
1: And finally, Julian Roper, 6 6'5 wing from Orchard Lake St. Mary's. He's been trying to work through an injury on in the upper body and hasn't played the last four games. Doesn't sound like he'll play this one, but it's possible. He was only scoring about three points a game on 43, 25 and 50 shooting, but can be a pretty good player when he's healthy, right?
0: Yeah, very good. And the numbers, even when he played are bad enough. I just can't get a lot of detail and I spent some time looking at it on the nature of the injury, but it's his numbers when he did play were bad enough that it made me wonder if this is, if it was something that was lingering and they just decided to shut him down. So it was affecting his play when he did see the court. Um, Collins has said it's a week-to-week thing, and I I just don't see a lot of signs that he'll play, but we put him down because he might. Um, He's healthy. He's a very good player. I thought he was perhaps ready to have a little bit of a breakthrough season for them. He's a very good two-way wing. He gives them some athletic ability. That they don't necessarily otherwise have uh, on this team. And again, I think he's a very capable defender as well. So, good player. It's a shame if he's going to continue to be hindered like this.
1: Well, before we get into the five keys, I mean, Michigan State's come into this Big Ten season, although it's, you know, the abbreviated Big Ten season, and then we'll go back to the non conference. But at least that first eight game stretch at coming in at five and three, I think we thought there's a reasonable chance to be six and two until, you know, that. that the wheels fell off early in that Notre Dame game. Uh, but five and three is pretty res- respectable. There's some big wins and even the losses were all against very high quality opponents. So there's nothing to be. Yeah. Ashamed there's no of, bad, there's no right?
0: bad loss yet.
1: Yeah. And you've lost and you were playing half those games with arguably two of your best players, or at least two of your top six players. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's every reason to be optimistic about the season. And as you mentioned earlier, there's, every reason to think that Jaden Akins is going to be playing in this game, probably not starting. I imagine he's probably going to be playing in a reserve role off the bench, but he may be the first person off the bench. We'll have to kind of see what happens there.
0: Yeah, I would, I would hope that it'll be similar to what we saw against um, Northern Arizona uh, and, uh, and Gonzaga where he plays. It's not huge minutes, but it's enough to, you know, maybe in the team somewhere where he's able to have an impact and, you know, look, where MSU is clearly missing them. I mean, people always get caught up in offense. But to me, it's pretty clearly the defensive end yeah. where the absence of Hall and Aikens is really being felt. And, you know, it stands to reason if you think about it, um, they no longer have a bigger wing to defend, you know, the Brandon Millers of the world. They don't have that. They don't have a Jaden Akins who you can put out there against just about anybody on the perimeter and know that he'll do an effective job. And, and it's not just not having those guys, but then the guys who have to play, you know, Pierre Brooks playing a much larger role, you know, you're losing a lot. Let's put it that way on the defensive end. And so that's where I think the absence has been felt. So if you get Jaden Akins back, it doesn't solve everything but I think it will make them markedly better defensively overall, just by having him back in the rotation regularly. It's going to help.
1: And absolutely. And the fact that he's going to be a, an offensive threat too. you know, you, there are definitely a bunch of the lineups that were out there against Notre Dame. You're just like, I don't know where the scoring's coming from at this point. And
0: this is the problem. And Izzo kind of acknowledged at the Notre Dame game, you know, look at this, look at the second half. He comes out of the second half and he starts um, Jason Whiten's, Instead of Pierre Brooks. And that was the right thing to do because Pierre was awful defensively in the first half. Just awful. Yeah. Um, but the problem is if you start Jason Whitens, you are also giving up a fair amount on the offensive end. So Pierre Brooks comes back in because, well, we're down, we need points. So you're put as a coach, you're put in a very difficult position. When you have a Jaden Akins and you have a Malik Hall you're getting both sides of the court addressed, which is what you want.
1: Yeah. The the compromising makes it, (laughs) you know, picking offense for defense, not the end of the game situation.
0: And then you've got Pierre Brooks back in the role that he's best suited for right now, which is, okay, he's a guy we asked to come in and provide a little instant offense and we'll hope we survive it defensively. I always say that um, with guys like that, The longer you have to play them, the worse it's going to get. It's the old diminishing returns (laughs) scenario because the longer they're out there, the more likely it is. The other team is going to figure out, Oh, we can attack this guy and they'll do so. You know, you might get an initial burst when they come on the floor, they come out and hit a couple of shots, you know, but you want to be able to get them in, get them out. And MSU doesn't really have that, hasn't had that option over the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, well, that makes sense. And if moving to the five keys of the game, the first one is defense, and you kind of touched on most of those things, how the, yeah. getting Aikens back not only helps the offensive end, but probably more than anything helps you on the defensive end, and probably the defensive uh, rebounding edge, although that has not been as much of a problem the first uh, part of the um, season. No. But, uh, you know, the Wildcats, obviously, they have the two guards that can go off and suddenly, you know, get hot. And so you have to make sure you have someone. If someone looks like they're heating up, you can hopefully just put Aikens on them just to shut them down.
0: Northwestern's likely to do some of the work themselves for you because they're <laughs> going to take bad shots. Yeah. But Michigan State's task is to make those shots worse. So if he's going to pull up from 25, OK, that's probably a bad shot still manage to at least semi contest it, make it under duress. Don't just allow them to get off cleanly and in rhythm. You know, that's the task. I I just, when I look at Northwestern's team, unless Robbie Baran's whole approach to the game changes dramatically, I don't see a lot of paths to wins for them. If their guards aren't really getting it done on offense. So if you can hold those guys down somewhat, you're in good shape
1: the number two key to the game is the transition game so it's you know always hard in the big ten to score and transition because all the teams know us they know what to do they've seen us twice you know once or twice a year at least uh, but it's obviously the easiest way for us to score get our offense especially when we're down Malik Hall and this has been
0: hard too because again they're down bodies so it makes it hard to run the way you want to as Michigan State but um, what I'm hoping is Northwestern has been a little questionable in ball security terms. So, if MSU can benefit from a few um, turnovers for touchdowns, as Izo likes to characterize it, that could really help. Because anytime you're not going against their half court defense, you're you're better off.
1: I always feel too that one of the the best parts of Michigan State's transition game is is oftentimes the you know you're heading down, you're pushing it. You're not able to get anything initially, but then the trailing man is the one who's going to get an open three, and that would be most often is Joey Hauser, which is I'm sure working usually inbounds after that. Right. We haven't seen a whole lot of that this year. Do you think it's just other teams are just keyed into it and they're they've been defending? It? I can't say I've been watching specifically.
0: I just think Michigan State hasn't been able to get out and transition very much, and some of that is on them, and some of it is is a credit to the opposition. I think when you look at these games they've played in. Um, You know, Portland, uh, Oregon, uh, Villanova, those teams did a really good job, I felt, of prioritizing floor balance. Now, it's helping Michigan State in another way, which you mentioned. Their defensive rebounding has been better. And part of that, the best it's been in years, as a matter of fact. And part of that, I think, is because other teams have not been committing to trying to offensive rebound against them. They've instead been prioritizing floor balance. Uh, interestingly, I think the two best games for the transition game for MSU were against Gonzaga and Kentucky. So that's a couple yeah. things. That's maybe those teams were trying to be more competitive on the offensive glass. And then conversely, MSU also had a full deck, of, a full deck of cards to play with, you know, which they haven't had lately.
1: The one outlier, I guess you'd say, is the Alabama game. Alabama was, um, you know, they were still crashing the boards pretty hard, and they were able to. Yeah, weren't able to do a whole lot against them in transition.
0: Right, but I think they were successful on the offensive boards to an extent, and and uh, so that if they're if the other team's getting those, that's going to make it tough. Right, but MSU was still shorthanded.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, So next would be perimeter shooting. You know Northwestern's defense is hope has not been that great. Michigan State is, I think, even better shooting team than what they've been showing, but they've looked pretty good so far this season.
0: Yeah, you know they're okay. They're a little under thirty-seven percent as a team, so slightly off last season's pace, but they're basically one good game from getting back there or beyond it. Um, Northwestern is likely to give up looks. You know, um, so. If you're Michigan State, I think in a game like this, you gotta have some three-point production. I think if it if this is one of those, you know, four for twenty kind of nights from three, it could be a much tougher road than you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to take advantage and you need to hit some shots because um, Northwestern just the, the the numbers of the performance tell us. They're probably not going to give up a lot anyway, and and the reality is it's not like Michigan State has been an effective scoring team inside the arc either. They're in the two forties, I think, in two point percentage. So that's once again not been a strength of this team.
1: So next is turnovers. This is a very strange situation. I'm not used to having seen Michigan State with a pretty decent turnover percentage. They're number fifty two. Yeah, we've had, we've had a number of games this season where it's single digits, and I. I feel like you go through entire seasons where you see maybe two the whole year. And now we've we've already had, I think, two or three.
0: Yeah, it's Michigan State's had issues at times this year, but this isn't one of them, this area. And there's a big gap between these two teams statistically. Now, I will say, as we mentioned, Northwestern's defense, 42nd in the country in steal percentage. So they've actually been able to generate turnovers with their defense. So Michigan State's going to have to be strong with the ball. But if they can do that, this is an area where you can maybe get a little bit of separation. You'll, you'll look to do that. And boy, doesn't that feel strange Yeah, saying that. But it's true, at least to date. Michigan State, the one thing they're not doing, they're not killing themselves with giveaways.
1: Yeah, and you can afford to be a little bit uh, worse offensive rebounding if your turnover percentage is lower. And what's nice of this team is actually the rebounding has been pretty good. And that's the fifth key to the game that Northwestern has not been a good rebounding team on either end, but it's definitely not the offensive right. end. And Michigan State's offense rebounding has been, I guess, poor, Bad. but you know, missing. Yeah. Bad. They're missing, they're missing some players right now, uh, but defensively, they've been pretty good, which is, you know, at least that part's good.
0: Yeah. It's the best it's been, as I mentioned, in like five seasons. Um, They're currently in the seventies, I believe in defensive rebounding last season, they were outside the top 100. So, that is a good number. And, you know, again, how much of it is opposition choosing to not contest a lot, um, or how much of it is really Michigan state being better. Uh, you know, it's a combination of the two, but nevertheless, I'll take the improvement. So I think these two things combined what you want to see there, there's a, there's a path here whereby you could see Michigan state getting more opportunities to score. And that's really, if you want an easy win, an easy-ish win, there never, rarely are there easy wins in the Big Ten. But if you want one that's a little more comfortable, that's a good path to getting it done, is that way. Have a turnover margin, have a rebounding margin.
1: Well, Michigan State is an eight-point favorite per Ken Palm. We don't have any Vegas lines out yet at This at the time of this recording. Uh, you know, this is a game, obviously, it's a Big Ten game. These are actually all really, you know, all count, even though it's in December. It's kind of a weird time to be playing the Big Ten season. Yeah, this is one that we that we need to get. It's at home. You've got to protect home court. Last year, uh, Northwestern came in and beat Michigan State, so you obviously hope that this doesn't happen again this year. I, I mean, I, I like our odds in this game, and I like the. I actually like that line. I think Michigan State should win by double digits, but you know, I guess you know, I think it's possible. Obviously.
0: Yeah. W- what you hope? I mean, the the good news is, you know, with that debacle on Wednesday night. At least it was in South Bend. So that was an easy trip. They were home that night, I would assume, you know, early morning, but still. So you've had several days to rest, start to get your legs back underneath you after that West Coast trip and then going right to South Bend. And hopefully you get Jaden Akins back. Uh, You know, we also found out after we recorded our post game that apparently Tyson Walker had a um, family tragedy that day the day of the Notre Dame game that impacted him, that could explain certainly um, some of his play, maybe not being at the top level of what we've seen. Um, so all of those things should be better. And yeah, look, it's, it's pretty simple. Home court game against a team that's not expected to be in tournament contention. That's one you got to get. You lose a game like this, it immediately puts more pressure on you to steal one on the road that you weren't counting on at the start of the season, right. You know that's the dynamic and you don't want to be in that position if you're Michigan state, yeah. obviously. So, um, it's yeah, it's, it's one that definitely you're looking at as one that you need, you know, to achieve all the goals that you've got. So we'll hope that they can get that done.
1: I like this team. I think we're. I think we've got a good future in the in the league this year. Even though the league is going to be harder than we probably anticipated originally, but you know we have we're not at full strength. And I think the margin for error for having a a sloppy game is is just not real great. And so that this team is not going to overwhelm a lot of teams this year. They're going to have to play well and good connected basketball, which they've done for the most part this season. And uh, obviously not the last game, but. That's that's going to be the key to this team. And, you know, again, I still think we're still a little bit in survival mode until we get into the January schedule, until we call it back, hopefully. And, uh, you know, that is a that is a wild card, too. We don't know for sure Malik calls. You know, there are t- plenty of times he's going to come back in three weeks, and it turns out to be six or seven. So we can right. only assume that. Uh, but it does sound like Jade Akins is pr- pretty much a sure thing, and he seems to be going doing well. So we can at least assume that he'll be back at least.
0: You, you have to hope that, um, everything with Malik stays on course that Jaden has truly gotten past it now. Um, and, and that it's, you know, it's smooth sailing with those guys from a health perspective and that nobody else gets hurt. You're right about the margin for error. That's the the problem. And, and yet I, I don't know that it's fundamentally that different for anybody else, you know, anyone who pretends that, you know, oh, there are teams out there that go 13 deep. Those days are gone, man. You just can't, you can't construct rosters that way because kids aren't going to be patient enough. You know, a young player who might have potential, but is sitting behind a bunch of veterans for the first couple of years is in your program. That's, that's not a common thing anymore. Yeah. You know, and so, Consequently, everybody, every program is, in my opinion, going to be riding that edge, you know, in terms of needing to keep people healthy and in the lineup. Uh, But the truth is, yeah, Michigan State does not have a big margin for error, in part because they don't have those one or two guys. You know, there's no Denzel Valentine on this team. There's no Cassius Winston. There's nobody that you could say, even if you're down a body or two, all right, we're shorthanded, but this guy can just carry us for a while. They, they don't have that kind of player, you know? So it's, as you said, it's interconnectedness. They they all need to be functioning well as a group, as a unit. And, and so that's what we'll hope to see uh, starting to come back into focus as they get one of these guys, we think back in play on sunday and hopefully shortly thereafter in the next couple of weeks we'll see the other one
1: you know finally it's not a key to the game but i always feel like aj hogart is almost his own key to how well this team plays you know what do you, what kind of things are you looking for i mean we've we look at a guy who at times when he wants to is really can be pretty dominant on both offensively and even defensively he could be really good what do you What are you looking for in the game? And like, what? Yeah, what What will be assigned to you that he's locked He's locked in, and he's you know the good AJ. Uh, and what is the, What's the concerning things out there?
0: That he's defending well, and that he's He's playing to his strengths offensively. So defending well is pretty simple. Is he not going under screens? Is he getting up on top of them? Uh, Is he locating and closing on shooters? Is he not giving up penetration too easily? You know, all of those things that are part of what he's tasked with. Is he doing those? And then offensively, I think a bad sign for him early is when, you know, he's a very effective penetrator, as we know, but when he over penetrates and when you're watching him as a viewer, you can pretty much always see it coming, which is what makes it amazing that he doesn't feel it. (laughs) Yeah, but you see those offensive foul. I mean, A.J. very rarely gets called for an offensive foul where you didn't see it come in a full second or two before it happens. Those kind of moments are the ones that tell me he's not locked in. You know, so those are the things that I pay attention to. I don't worry about is the jumper falling or any of that nonsense. Just make the plays that you're capable of making. Play within yourself. Be connected with your teammates and, and be focused.
1: Well, I'll be at the Breslin Center on Sunday enjoying my ice cream sandwich, and I guess everyone else will enjoy to see you there or uh, if you're sitting on the couch watching the game. Uh, I Just a couple announcements here. To a reminder, from, from a scheduling standpoint, we will be recording our show after the Penn State game for that game with retired assistant coach Mike Garland. We're looking forward to that. That should be fun, having uh, real coaches' insight into what he saw and I guess what he thought of our keys to the game, <laughs> keys to the game in our scouting report to begin with. Yeah. Um, then also I would like to thank a new Scott Skiles patron on Patreon, Michelle Mazzara, thank you so much for supporting the show and thanks to all the other people who support our show on Patreon you can sign up for that and you can get to our website at the slash support, I would really encourage you if you've not yet visited our site visit our site, it has all our episodes it has a forum which in which case you can interact with other Spartans in our community and we are We've finalized our t-shirt design. We're going to be sending it to the printer soon-ish. And so we'll be getting more details out about that in the near future. Uh, those who are supporters of ours on the Bateen Cleaves level, uh, which is $25 a month, you can sign up for that at Patreon if you want to get in and get that you know, opportunity to get that t-shirt as well. We'll get that out by the end of next week. And then, I don't know, we'll just kind of figure out what we're going to do for t-shirts beyond that. But it's a really sweet design. I'm very excited to get my get one of my own. And I'm looking forward to wearing it to the Breslin Center at the next game. Uh, also, the contest for the free t-shirt, uh, free t-shirt contest with the Big Ten predictions, we've gotten a number of entries in. There's still time, although technically there's some games, Big Ten games that are starting before they start as early as Friday. Uh, you still can, as long as it's post-dated or whatever the email term is for post-date is, as long as it's in by the time the Michigan State game starts and Sunday evening, that's fine. So if you want to wait till the last second to get a little bit of insider information, know one game <laughs> You could get that. All you have to do is send in the prediction for the Big Ten standings at the end of the season, one through 14, and then send in along with your name and the amount of points you think Michigan State will score against the University of Michigan this season. And I guess that's pretty much it, unless there's anything else you have.
0: Let me just add, yeah, let me just add one thing. So I'm just, as we're wrapping this up, I see that Izzo had his post-practice press conference. Oh. Um, So to what we were speaking about. Jaden Nakins went, this is per Kyle Austin of MLive. Uh, Jaden Nakins went through three quarters of today's practice. He's a maybe for Sunday per Izzo, and that maybe, I would think, is contingent upon his practicing tomorrow and being okay as well. Um, also mentioned Christmas as a potential return timeline for Malik Hall, which sounds like it's a, I think he's using Christmas loosely. Yeah, um, But uh, that, that sounds like that's on track
1: because that's, that's what news. we've been
0: talking about. Yeah. So doesn't sound like there's, there's nothing earth shaking there on either front, but it, it does sound like everything is more or less on track.
1: And every Michigan State Spartan fan is spooked by what happened with Josh Langford and, you know, uh, more right. sort of aware of foot injuries and problems because, you know, they do weird things and it was, his was a super, you know, unique situation. And, but it's one that rightfully has people concerned. And so anytime you hear someone's getting a foot injury, you're worried that it's going to last you know, all season. And so it's encouraging to hear that these guys are getting better. And, you know, again, as you mentioned a couple episodes ago, had Aikens, had that been a tournament game, Aikens would have played. I mean, he was not uh, injured to the point where he can't play. He was just had some pain and there's, you know, there's no point risking it for a game in South Bend or, you know, huge like a couple games out in Portland.
0: Right. I'll also add one more thing. Um, so Keon Coleman, um, is oh, apparently addressed him. He said he likely he'll more discussions next week about bringing Keon Coleman and Malik Carr over. He said, nothing's imminent, but if you've been paying attention, you've seen, there's been some workout stuff where Keon Coleman's been shooting, um, at the practice facility. So, uh, he said Coleman's recovering from minor injury. If you recall, he was a little banged up with a hip against in that Penn state game, um, mm-hmm. I would anticipate that Keon Coleman's probably going to play. And he made, so, is own made some comment apparently about Malik calls position makes it difficult to play both. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about his football position and i i and i'm guessing here cuz all i'm working from is is from a very bare bones quote i would think he's probably talking about you know the in, the increased need to add good weight and strength because his basketball position is a four man i don't think it requires much that's to me that's the easiest position to transition from yeah you know, right from now. a basketball perspective yeah but um you know i Look, I was very, very pessimistic about Keon Coleman last year. And, you know, I, I have to admit he showed more than I thought he would um, in coming over. That, that does not mean that I think he's capable of being a major contributor in basketball, but um, I saw enough last year to at least feel as if I shouldn't be completely dismissive about his getting into the rotation somewhere. Um, you know, athletically, my God, you know, he's a very gifted athlete. We knew that, but I was surprised by the level of his ball skills. Um, so we'll see. I, again, I would never expect anything other than spot duty in a best case scenario, but who knows?
1: Yeah. There are a lot of fans who seem really intent on in having him play a lot. I mean, they you know, they've, they really want Keon Coleman, they say, Oh, from a depth standpoint. And I, I guess I, I understand why people feel that way. And maybe from a practice standpoint, it's useful having another, uh, you know, high level athlete on your practice squad. I guess I don't see a whole lot of minutes for him. And I, you know, and that, you know, are you going to play Not him if they're him? healthy? Well, right. Not well, let's healthy. say that, let's, well, let's say even right now, I mean, you know, if you're, if your choice here, Tom Izzo, are you going to play Jason Whitens? Or are you going to play Keon Coleman? Let's say, you know, that's your, those are your two options. I still think you pick Whitens because he like I don't see where Coleman brings a whole lot extra. Maybe he's got a little scoring punch that Whitens might have, but from a defensive standpoint, you know, there's just no question you'd rather have Whitens out there.
0: Yeah, I I, I think I, I think I would be inclined to agree with you, but I, I do I, I will tell you this. Late in the season, I was told by somebody who has a direct connection to someone on the coaching staff like a familial connection Okay, that they were really impressed by the way Keon Coleman picked things up. And Izzo has mentioned that even this season, this off season, when he's been asked about it, that they were really impressed by the way he picked things up. So the way I interpret that, usually what he's talking about first and foremost is, Oh, he gets it defensively. We know that athletically in terms of his frame and everything, Well, he's built to be a defender, right? But you still have to be able to pick it up conceptually. And I think they were pretty impressed by that. You know, I guess I'm just going to have to fall into the wait and see camp on that. I don't think it's a big difference maker either way, most likely. Mm -hmm. But I am less skeptical of it than I was at this time last year.
1: We'll put it that way. Well, and certainly the advantage for him this year is he has an extra three or four weeks to join the team and get in. Acclimated That's right. To the team versus last year, That's where they right. were Coming off a bowl game and mid, you know, yeah. he's not really joined the team till mid-January. Absolutely. Do you do you feel like Malik Car is going to be a person who's just going to be a you know, basically reserves and comes in with the uh, Davis Smith and Steven Izzo? If he plays,
0: um, I think he's more of the you know, practice squad, giving you a physical body. It's a shame too, because I've, I know I said it a lot last year, you know, and I've, I've, it looks like I'm ending up on the wrong end of this, but my feeling going in was I had never seen Keon Coleman play basketball other than in clips, but I had seen a lot of Malik Carr play basketball a lot. I probably saw him play. Oh, at least 10 times, maybe more okay. in high school and AAU. And I thought Malik Carr could have been a very good division one basketball player, not a star, but he was a really good and versatile defender. Um, could guard a lot of different types of guys at his size. I love the attitude he played with. It's funny because in football, it feels like he gets dinged a lot. Even the coaching staff will mention it that, well, he's not yet physical enough at the point of attack as a blocker. You know, he doesn't do some of the things they want a tight end to do. Whereas in basketball, that kid was nothing but an ass kicker. I mean, that's what he was. He was just physical as all get out, no back down in him. He was tough. And, And so I liked that. To me, that was an equation that translates. You could see the translation because if you're playing a guy like that, where all you're asking him to do basically is go check and rebound. Well, you can do that the moment you step on the practice court. Sure. You don't need time to get acclimated. Right. Um, guys who are, are more perimeter oriented and you're asking them to hit shots and run an offense and and that kind of stuff. That's harder because that's the stuff that I think tends to atrophy when you're not practicing every day, you know, but it hasn't worked out that way. Keon Coleman, who is a perimeter player seemed to be much more comfortable than Malik was. It's been surprising to me. And when I say Malik Carr, I, I mean, I saw Malik Carr do this stuff in EYBL play. He was doing it against the best prospects in the country. So it was real. Um, you know, basically he was in a front court with uh, he and, and Isaiah Jackson, who went to Kentucky and now is in the NBA. I mean, that's the level he was playing at, but it just hasn't translated. And so, yeah, at this point, you would, you would just have to assume it's, it's going to be, you know, cannon fodder in the practice squad. And so then it's just a question of if he wants to do that. I mean, I know he loves basketball, so it's not a question of want to, but I guess he's just got to decide, is this the best thing for his future? Whereas I think Keon Coleman seems to be one of those guys that, you know, he's probably not going to do himself any harm by missing a few weeks of football practice. Cause he sure. seemed to kind of arrive this year. Right.
1: Sure. Yeah. Maybe
0: you, maybe you stay a little healthier, uh, could be, but I, yeah, I mean, I have to admit I was impressed and surprised by, uh, by what Keon Coleman showed, but more than that, what I was told by people who really know what's going on that they were legitimately impressed again. Don't get it. Don't get it wrong. Nobody was saying, Oh, we got to get Keon Coleman over here because he could be all big 10 more like God, he can, we could put him on the floor and he wouldn't look totally out of place that, that alone for a football player. Think about the number of guys that have come over in the past. Um, cause there've been several, that have done this over Izzo's career and almost never. I mean, there's one guy, Matt Tranit, who's the, the guy who gives eternal hope to Michigan state fans <laughs> that every yeah. football player is going to be Matt Tranit. Um, right. you know, and, they, and again, there are guys, there was a kid played tight end for MSU and I believe did some time in the NFL with the dolphins, Deion Sims. You remember him? No Deion Sims was a hell of a high school basketball player. That kid could play legit top 100 kind of talent he never translated when he came over to play basketball i don't know that he ever saw the floor maybe he did but if he did it was spot duty and it didn't the experiment didn't last very long it's a hard transition to make you know and and um the fact that keon coleman seems to be capable of making it to whatever extent where he's actually functional, that's pretty
1: remarkable. You think that the the difficult thing too, if you're someone like a uh, Coleman, is you might be able, to, like you said, you can go rebound, you can maybe check someone, but can you, you know, make shots and can you handle the ball? When some of you haven't been doing for a few months, I mean, I imagine he can't. He couldn't have been playing hardly any basketball for during the football season, outside of you know, maybe just going to the. I guess you go to go to gym and shoot a couple times. I don't know.
0: The the clips the clips I saw the other day from uh, the practice facility. He was taking jumpers and he wasn't guarded. So there's that he was hitting them, but um, his release is not what I would call pure. It's, it's a weird. So I, yeah, that would be, I would be skeptical of that as to how much, how much uh, jump shooting he would be able to provide you with. On the other hand, I wouldn't be skeptical of the idea that he might be able to take somebody off the dribble once or twice and get to the rim and finish. He might be able to do that.
1: Well, everyone's so hopeful after, I think he hit his first three, right, last season. And so I think people are like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well,
0: what I remember was the the crossover that he uh, yeah, dusted right. off against uh, Michigan at, at Breslin for a, for a lay-in. That's the kind of stuff that I'm saying. I think he might be able to give you a little bit of that. I wouldn't want him shooting a lot of threes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you have all the the kind of three-point shooting we've got on the team. There's no reason for him to be in that. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this. We'll see everyone after the Northwestern game. And until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile